It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, hey, Teresa, what fun thing did you do last week or weekend? Last week was just a blur. <laughs> Aren't they Total getting blur. that way? So busy. I love, they are. And I love it. I love yeah. it. And I love that some things are opening back up. There's a little more normalcy. Yeah. I read today that Fauci's saying trick-or-treating's back on. Oh, that's exciting. So, yeah, it's very exciting. I'd have to say that I loved our meeting with the cancer cartel. Oh, yeah. And they were a neat group yeah, of ladies. Very cool. So we're, we're still talking about what we're going to do with them, but it was a fun Zoom conversation yeah. with them. And my son got – there was a bye game down at um, – or it was a bye weekend at U of O, so he got to oh, come home for the weekend. Fun. And while I was at work, there was a little Halloween miracle. Oh, they decorated – they pulled out the – yeah. Oh, they, nice. So it was – Cute. It was just fun to get to see Spencer and, and have the decorations put up. So oh, I love that. October's National Hispanic Heritage Month, celebrating all the contributions of Hispanic Americans to our culture, history, and achievements in the United yeah. States, which I, I love that we're starting to talk about this. Hispanics have contributed to our food, entertainment, science, politics. They're an integral part. And make up our culture and our right. society. Yeah. Unfortunately, they've also been demonized as illegals, sneaking across our borders, Ugh. bringing crime and drugs into our country. Even though the vast majority of immigrants from Central and South America are extremely hardworking individuals. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone I know that has come up from those countries put me to shame. Right. With got good, their work, work ethic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're just looking for a better life for their families and their children, and they focus instead. You know, these people that are mad on a small percentage that are, right. are making a bad name for them. This is the crux of the immigration conflict, which has become very loud and extremely ugly in recent years. According to a number of different polls, most Americans support immigration reform and favor a way to allow illegal immigrants a path to citizenship. And you know me. I'm yeah. a total rule follower. Right. So I, I yeah, don't I want people coming here illegally by any means. But at the same time, when we have kids that were born here i just there needs to be right. some reform there needs right. to be there's something, something in the system that needs something's to be. broken yeah for sure so there's a very loud and vocal segment of americans wanting to seal our borders and eject any immigrants who didn't get through the difficult and lengthy process of legal immigration and we've seen that how I know, but you know i just my heart just keeps saying that's the fiber of what the u.s was founded used to on be. you know we were a melting pot yeah i mean there used to be you know i just that's what i find that's what we are founded on who we are a multitude of different i know and to make it so hard and yeah, yeah i so I don't have an answer. I don't know. But yeah, um, further, one. it is. It's very challenging. And further complications, just the whole immigration debate, are the tens of thousands of children. Mm-hmm. That's what and concerns me. And they're the ones me. that yep. Who've been prize. born here in the United States. So they're obviously U.S. citizens, even though their parents are in the U.S. illegally. So speaking to a crowd of over 5,000 people in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, activist Sophie Cruz have you heard of her? I have not. So, that's no. who I'm chatting about this, yeah. this afternoon. Said, I have the right to protection. I have the right to live with my parents. I have the right to live without fear. I have the right to be happy. 
Sophie Cruz has become a powerful voice in the Hispanic community advocating for changes to U.S. immigration policy to provide ways for families in the United States to stay intact regardless of their immigration status. I know. It just breaks my heart because she's just one example. Right. Sophie's had audiences with Pope. Francis. Oh, my goodness. Pretty cool. Yeah. President Obama and has spoken before crowds of thousands, including the Women's March on Washington in 2017. And her powerful message has given a voice to thousands of immigrants in the U.S. How how old is she? I just am just trying to get a picture. Ten. I think she's ten. Okay. So she's young. Young. Wow. Um, Eleven in December of 2021. So young. So coming up. Sophie Cruz was born in the United States in 2010. Her parents are, as I said, undocumented immigrants from Wakawa. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, in Mexico. Sophie, even at a very young age, was aware that there was always a risk that one or both of her parents would be arrested and deported. And I, I just cannot wow. even imagine that. That would be, be a scary worry to have all the time. And it obviously concerned her greatly and, and weighed heavily on her thoughts, even at the age of five. In 2015, Sophie decided she was going to do something about it. So when she was five, you know, I put myself back. I'm like, five, I was just. That's kindergarten. Yeah, her parents took her to Washington, D.C. to see Pope Francis drive by. Thousands of people turned out to line the streets just to get a chance to see the Pope as he paraded down the street in the Pope Mobile. That special car that allows the Pope to be seen but is made out of bulletproof glass. When Sophie saw the Pope, she made a mad dash to the street, hoping to deliver a handwritten letter that she had for him, which I just think is so sweet. But not surprisingly, five-year-old Sophie didn't make it past the Pope's security detail and was stopped before she could reach the Pope. What was unexpected, though, was that the Pope saw this little girl trying to break through the security. He stopped the whole procession and wanted to meet Sophie. Oh, so I love, I love that. So yeah. he was able to give her letter personally to the Pope, and she even got a big hug from Pope Francis, oh. which makes me love him more. Yeah. The letter asked Pope Francis to speak on behalf of the Deferred Action for Parents of Americans, also known as DAPA, which allows undocumented parents of children who are American citizens to lawfully remain in the United States if they followed certain procedures. This program, introduced by President Obama in 2014, would allow parents of children who are American citizens to avoid deportation by applying for temporary work permits every three years, which I think is totally fair. Yeah. They're working. Yeah. Applying for the permits. In Sophie's letter to Pope Francis, she said, quote, Pope Francis, I want to tell you that my heart is sad. And I would like to ask you to speak with the president and the Congress in legalizing my parents because every day I'm scared they will take them away from me. What's even more amazing is that Pope Francis referred to Sophie and her letter in his speech before a joint session of Congress the next day, encouraging greater openness for immigrants and refugees. Once again, I just love this guy the more I read about him. And that's just the start. Sophie was interviewed after her interaction with the Pope and said, I believe I have the right to live with my parents. I have the right to be happy. My dad works very hard in a factory galvanizing pieces of metal. All immigrants, just like my dad, feed this country. They deserve to live with dignity. They deserve to live with respect. In May of 2016, President Obama asked Sophie to visit him in the White House for their Cinco de Mayo celebration. Oh, cute. Unfortunately, because they were undocumented, Sophie's parents couldn't attend with her, but Sophie got to meet President Obama and then Vice President Biden and shared her message of helping keep immigrant families intact. Sophie's an articulate and charismatic child 
She'd later tell her story in two short films discussing the issue of how children of undocumented parents like her would face obstacles growing up, particularly in light of calls for mass deportation. She'd later speak at age six at the Women's March on Washington <laughs> in 2017. This protest march was one of the biggest ever. The only mar- the only one I've done. Oh I, I didn't goodness, do the one yeah. in D.C., obviously. I did the one in Portland. but She's a dynamo. She is. Sophie spoke to an audience of thousands of people. She delivered her words in both English and Spanish. We're here together making a chain of love to protect our families. Let us fight with love, faith and courage so that our families will not be destroyed. I also want to tell the children not to be afraid because we are not alone. There are still many people that have their hearts filled with love and tenderness to snuggle in this path of life. Let's keep together and fight for the rights. God is with us. She got a thunderous applause and chance of si se puedo, which is Spanish for yes, we can. In 2018, a huge mural featuring Sophie was painted on the wall of the Children's Discovery Museum in San Jose, showing her holding the world in one hand and a flower in the other. She's selected because she can inspire young girls to make a difference in the world. She continues to speak out on behalf of the children of undocumented parents. She's won several awards for her activism and encourages other young Americans to speak out against deportation of undocumented parents and talks about the impact of deportation and how, how it affects yeah. you know, kids than the children that are left behind. There's little doubt that the people in Sophie's life, including her parents and pro-immigration groups, have influenced Sophie's interest in political reform. But this young woman has a real passion to make change. You can find lots of videos of this cutie online, and she has just all all sorts of adorable. But it gives me hope to see young people making an effort to change things and improve their community. And Sophie Cruz is inspiring other little girls by making a difference despite her age. That is so, so it's awesome. it's super sweet. I love that. As you know, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of the Today Show, which is <laughs> no surprise by now. But a couple months back, one of the hosts, Craig Melvin, who also hosts Dateline. I just can't even picture okay. what this guy looks like. But. Okay. Well, he also does Dateline, so I'm kind of a, a fan. But mm-hmm. he was talking about a new book called Pops. You mean there's something on besides Ted Lasso? <laughs> Sorry, I know. I'm, you're today's show. I'm I know, and I got I to gotta watch that because I still I have it. I'm probably the only person in America that has not seen it. Sorry, go ahead. But his new book, it Pops, Learning to Be a Son and a Father. Craig was getting a bit emotional while he was talking about it. It really just touched my heart. So I went to my Amazon app and bought it immediately. When I got it, I couldn't put it down. It It is such a thoughtful yet gritty account of his upbringing and his broken relationship with his alcoholic father. Hmm. And he also examines his own relationship as a father with his two young children, Dell, seven, and Sibby, three. It's interesting because Craig, being a journalist, he flipped the roles and asked himself and his parents the tough question he would normally ask an interviewee. I just really admire his openness to explore and write about some really tough topics. So just to give you a background, both both of Craig's parents came from really similar backgrounds. Both of his parents' fathers were alcoholics. Craig's dad, Lawrence, or Pops, was born in Elderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia. That's where Martha Stewart went, oh, just to give you okay, some. Okay. Grandma, his grandma, Reen, was in prison for bootlegging. And Rich mm-hmm. Craig didn't find out until he was applying for colleges and needed his father's birth certificate. So in his family, they didn't talk so much. Do we still need that nowadays? Well, maybe school? back then. This he, I don't know. He yeah. might have needed it for 
financial aid mm-hmm. or whoever gotcha, knows. Yeah. Apparently, gosh, talk about a shocking yeah. revelation. And he does mention that some things he's finding out for the first time as he's writing this book. His grandmother, he was not a drinker by any means. She was like a middle middleman or woman procuring the and selling the alcohol and trying to make an income to raise her two sons. Mm-hmm. Her husband, Craig's grandfather, was out of the picture. So when she got out of prison, she became a church-going woman, worked at the local dry cleaners, and really the breadwinner of the family. She worked hard, and Craig notes she always looked put together while she did it. But she was really influential in his life. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday dinner was at at her house growing up. Fried chicken, rice, greens, gravy. Damn, I'm just tired hearing about this woman. Yeah. It seems like she does it all. Yeah, yeah. And Craig's mother's, um, Betty Jo's mother, also dealt with an alcoholic mm-hmm. husband who was verbally abusive. So Betty Joe's mother, Grandma Florence, also head of the household. I mean, these mm-hmm. were two strong women. She worked super hard caring for her family, working multiple jobs as a custodian at the local school, lunch lady, and cleaned houses. So all that being said, Craig had some fiercely strong female figures in his life, including his own mother, mm-hmm. Betty Joe. So um, the poor woman that he marries, because she's got to be tough as nails, to, right? Right. <laughs> to walk in these, you know, to fall That's in a really these strong, yeah. You know, female. She's got some force. big shoes to fill. Yeah. So Craig was born in 1979 in Columbia, South Carolina. Both his parents came from Case, South Carolina. They met out of high school. Mm-hmm. They dated off and on again, and. Betty Jo was the first person in her family to graduate from college. She Mm. attended Benedict College, which is a private HBCU. She got her degree in elementary ed. During the off time, Pops, Craig's father, fathered uh, his half-brother, Lawrence. And then two years later, when his parents were kind of on again in the relationship, Betty became uh, pregnant with Craig. It's horrible. He writes in the book that... The reverend at their church shunned her for being unwed and pregnant and made a public spectacle mm. out of her one Sunday during service. Um, that is awful. Yeah. Th- that Who ex- does that? I don't know. But that experience probably turned Craig's father off on going to church. Period. Period. I mean, yeah, if you ever. had any question, yeah. you're no. done. No. And Craig's- that, that pastor will have to answer to God for right. that because to, that will turn a whole family away yeah. from from, yeah, from, from, from going church to church. Or any type of organized religion, for that matter. So shame on him. I'm assuming it's a him, because yeah. the day. Yeah, the day, for sure. Uh, Craig's father uh, supported her in the best way he could. You know, she was living with her aunt at the time, well, until Craig was born and a little bit after. So they kind of worked off and on again for a couple years. And then finally, when Craig was three years old, his parents walked by a local courthouse and got married. I think Betty Joe was like... This is it, you know, mm-hmm. enough. It's a sign. It's a sign. It's right here. It's right here. <laughs> Another interesting thing, they grew up in a really racially diverse neighborhood in Columbia, South Carolina. It almost sounds planned because as he describes it, there were just a mix, white, black, Asian, Indian families on a street. The kids all played together, you know, running in and out of each other's houses mm-hmm. and in their yards. His mother liked to say she raised Craig and his younger brother, Ryan, to be colorblind. This kind of also spilled over for Craig into how he got along with groups in school. Like he got along with the nerds, the band geeks, the football players, the artsy students. I guess he's a really big conversationalist. And Mm -hmm. that would obviously prove him well later as a journalist. Mm -hmm. Growing up, Craig's dad, Pops, drank beer. That was his beverage of choice and smoked cigarettes. He worked the night shift at the post office sorting mail 
he left every night around eight and came home after the kids had left for school. So he worked the night shift because it paid more. Mm-hmm. And even though he had a, a drinking problem, he had a strong work ethic. So he so would he come home at eight then and do the drinking, or he he went to work at eight at night and came home after the kids went to school. Mm-hmm. So they went to school at eight. I think he was coming home about ten in the morning and drinking. And then he'd the drink all day. Oh, he'd drink okay. all day. Okay. However, he wasn't around much, and when he was, he was drunk or passed out. Craig described finding him in his room many times in his you know parents' room with you know vomit on his face. Mm-hmm. You know, that had to be rough. That's you know, your dad. And his mom ran the house and encouraged Craig and his younger brother. I mean, she had high expectations for these boys. Craig participated in academic clubs like Key Club Functions, Model UN, or Debate Club. They're all kind of leadership Mm -hmm. type clubs. She drove them to all these extracurricular activities and waited for them. And he described himself kind of looking like Steve Urkel. And that show was popular (laughs) back then, Family Matters. You know, he just, his mom kind of addressed him, you know, Mm -hmm. too, until I think he hit high school. But. (laughs) <laughs> um, she was really strict. Like she didn't let, you know, he didn't go to football games. He didn't go to parties. He didn't mm-hmm. really even hang out with friends. She made him iron his clothes, which I thought was kind oh, of interesting awesome, all the though. way through high school until he hit college when he realized not everybody irons their clothes, but she's, it sounds like she just ran a really tight mm-hmm. ship. Maybe, maybe she out of necessity, mm-hmm. you know, his dad wasn't as involved and uh, Craig remembers his dad showing up for little league when he was around seven. And that just meant the world to him. Mm-hmm. His dad had moments throughout his life where he'd show up. It just wasn't often. His dad would enlist his help fixing his 1973 Pontiac Le Mans. Craig would lay next to him under the car, handling him a tool. They wouldn't talk much. And it's like his dad just needed a buddy. You know, as mm-hmm. he did talk about, like, as he got older, when he's like 15, like, when am I going to get to be more involved? But I think that's just where his father was mm-hmm. at. You mm-hmm. know, that's... Kind couldn't, of couldn't handle more. Probably. Couldn't handle more. And the other activity was they shared fixing the plumbing in the house. When he when Craig was about ten, his dad replaced the sewage pipes in the yard. It took the whole oh summer. Gosh. Craig desperately wanted his father's approval, of course, and to take interest in him. And as he got older, both him and his brother were embarrassed of him. And towards the end of middle school, his dad became addicted to video poker. And often, so they were embarrassed because he they was an alcoholic. alcoholic. Okay, and then now too, he's now blowing the entire, maybe his entire paycheck mm-hmm. on gambling. He would head over after work, so like ten in the morning, to the mini mart and sit there the rest of the day drinking and gambling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes his mom would drive by begging to give her, you know, some money to pay the bills or some necessity for the mm-hmm. boys. Sometimes she'd send Craig in to ask for money for shoes or just some excuse so he wouldn't blow the whole paycheck. It was super tough. And so his mom had to get a second job working at a pharmacy. Oh, my gosh. The woman must have just never to make, slept. Just to make ends meet. Yeah. And it wouldn't be until later in life Craig would reflect on his father, realizing, you know, his father didn't have a good role model. You know, his father wasn't present. And his dad had a really... Uh, inferiority complex and he was kind of using alcohol mm-hmm. as a coping mechanism to numb that yeah. yeah but that had to be super tough to deal with growing up and making sense of all of it especially as a kid mm-hmm. but i'm going to switch gears here just a bit because i wanted to talk about craig's interest in the news and it started when he was six <laughs> so he, young he was sent home early because of the space shuttle mm-hmm. challenger disaster and when he got home helping to watch cartoons he ended up watching the explosion, the aftermath on TV the remainder of the day, which 
he remarks in the book that he's probably way too young and nobody there to kind of explain. He was really mm-hmm. upset. It really t- touched him and he was like crying. But I think that kind of sparked that initial interest just in what's going on in the world. Later, he would be acing current events to, in um, eighth grade because he would be obsessively watching the local news. Uh, he got his first break uh, as a journalist when he was 15 as a high school reporter at the local news station called Mr. Knows It. It's kind of cute. It's like a YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day. It sounds like. But it's, again, back to his dad. You know, his during this time, his dad, him and his friends called his dad the ghost. You know, there but not there. Mm-hmm. Friends would be like, hey, I saw the ghost today. But they were so ahead of their times because now we talk about ghosting. ghosting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. By high school, his dad was never around, never part of school or home life. Fortunately for Craig, besides his, you know, mom and grandmothers, he also had some um, awesome mentors in his life that helped shape him. His dad's brother, James, worked for the Labor Department in D.C. And so he would often come for holidays and made a huge impression on Craig. I wonder if he was older or younger because... I think he was older. Oh, okay. And he... I mean, he still had the same upbringing with the dad that was not right. great for him, too. So right, I, but they had the strong mom, but I think that you can be in a family and sometimes some, one kid just strives yeah. and the other oh, yeah. one doesn't, so... Yeah. No, I just was curious yeah. with, like, the birth order with how it might have affected them. Right. So the uncle would also kind of encourage Craig by giving him money, like 5 to $10 for A's and then some money for B's. Mm-hmm. And he, Craig would send his little copy of his report card to his <laughs> Uncle James, so and he would send money. And he and Uncle James would even try to st- talk to Pops about mm-hmm. him, stop drinking, but to no avail. And I think Craig was really fascinated by male relate like father son relationships. So he's also fascinated by his mother, mom's brother uh, Jake, who had a son Cliff. And Uncle Jake was a good father figure. He was super involved with his son Cliff and in soccer. And he also tried to help Craig because he was really into uh, golf. So he was helping mm. with his golf game. Mm-hmm. He also had teachers that took interest in him. You know, it all, again, thank goodness for teachers and people they, that just kind of poured into him yeah. and. and and he obviously was a bright person. So it did pay off. You know, he ended up going off to college, Wofford College. It's a really small arts college in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. At the time when he attended, there was only 60 black students out of, you know, 1,150. Wow. But he was kind of comfortable with that because when he was doing all those Model UN and Key mm-hmm. Club, he was often like the only one or two, you know, black mm-hmm. kid participating so he it didn't bother so he was used to that he used to so that. it wasn't a big deal yeah. he did struggle his freshman year and his father did was the time he showed up i mean his dad had these moments where he'd show up and mm-hmm. he showed up and was like i don't he, know if i feel like that's worse or well i think he still really wanted his approval mm-hmm. and so when he showed up i think he was like okay I'm, I really want my dad's approval mm-hmm. if you've not if you've well, not really felt like you've gotten it you keep trying you keep, keep trying, trying. So it paid, I mean, he ended up graduating with a degree in government and ended up pursuing a profession in news. And he got a job as a reporter at the local TV station. After he was there just a short time, he was being groomed to replace the current anchor. And I thought this was interesting. The current anchor, Steve Cocker, he had talked, he kind of took Craig under his wing and gave him some really sage advice because Craig was worried, like, I'm too young Mm -hmm. to take over your shoes. Mm -hmm. And would be uh, intimidating. It would be super intimidating. And Steve said, you'll always be too something, too young, too old, too black, 
you all, you know, you'll always be too something. Oh, I love that. So Craig wrote it down on a piece of paper, and you know, he even has it still at his desk. At the I Today can see show. why. Because you're always too something, but yeah. you have to just you have to sort of go for it. Yes. So um, I love that. I, I want to write that down too. Yeah, I thought that was really. I love that too. So Craig and his family had some tra- tragedy. Um, they re- that really impacted them in 2012. Craig's younger brother Ryan, daughter Jasmine who was just two and a half at the time, became sick and diagnosed with sarcoma, which totally rocked the family. They made bracelets with the color print because that was her favorite color mm-hmm. that said, you know, Jasmine Strong on one side and Team Melvin on the other side. And nurses and family and even strangers were wearing these bracelets in solidarity for Jasmine. It was just so devastating for them to all watch this vibrant two-year-old fade away. I, mm-hmm. I guess her favorite song was on that Call Me Maybe Remember that oh, the song, yeah. yeah. And she begged, you know, visitors Good taste. to play Good that taste. for her. Yeah. But the sweet thing is, pops came and sat with her every day. Aww. You know, even though he didn't interact with mm-hmm. her, he was just there. Still. And for that time, you know, he gave up drinking. You mm-hmm. know, and it's it's you know, it's like they needed each other. They needed almost. each other. I mean, Aww. it's it's interesting how he did show up, mm-hmm. you know, when he really needed when to. he needed to sad. I mean, Jasmine did not last long after her third birthday and pops went back drinking. And again, they're going to be hit with more tragedy. Craig's stepbrother, Lawrence, who's two years older, found he was stage four uh, colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So he was only 39 oh years gosh. old and he'd gone back to the doctor many <sighs> times. And because he was 39, they didn't do a CT mm-hmm. scan until mm-hmm. finally they did. Yeah. And they found a massive tumor in his colon. So Craig had a colleague who made a connection with MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, mm-hmm. Texas. So to get a second opinion, and ultimately he received treatments there at MD Anderson that gave him four extra years after his initial diagnosis. Mm. But Craig and him became really involved in colorectal cancer alliance. And the family just really rallied together just to kind of, you know, and savor those moments. Mm-hmm. And it was especially neat because Pops and Lawrence, who started to repair the relationship, Pops had never been a part of Lawrence's life. He had paid child support all the way through and gave money to Lawrence was living with grandparents. And Mm -hmm. so he was paying them to take care of him, but Mm. did had nothing to do with him until just recently. Mm. So they got to repair that relationship. I think that is telling, too, of Lawrence in a good way. Yeah. So Lawrence succumbed after four years of fighting, and he was a preacher, so he planned his service and wrote his obituary, and this was incredibly devastating, you know, for the Melvin clan, a lot of loss to endure. But I think these moments, you know, kind of impact people and impact families and maybe also helped possibly maybe kind of change, because in 2018, he had a minor accident. Apparently, he had some DUIs, mm. but he was never, he never harmed anyone or himself, which is amazing. That's a miracle in because itself. Because being, you know, being an alcoholic. And, and how many times he probably did right, go out there. Right. Know. So they had tried once before to do an intervention and it was not successful, but this time they consulted a therapist who brought the family together to write letters. And so they were writing letters with positive traits and then also writing about what his alcoholism has stolen from them, mm-hmm. which I think that would have been really hard to hear and hard to, to hear and to write, write. Yeah. yeah, on both sides. And, and the interesting thing, right about the same time, Craig just joined the Today Show, and so he's on the segment <laughs> with Al Roker. They're in an RV, 
And he's trying to arrange for treatment for his dad. And it's so sweet in this book because it says that Al said to Craig later that, you know, I knew you were a good guy. Just the way I overheard you talking about your family and Still how you make me cry. Know, how, you know, he, how you're caring for them. You're, you just could tell. Yeah. No. But in the end, Pops was open to rehab and he ended up going for two months. You know, it's pretty rigorous, multiple individual and group counseling sessions. But he did, he came out a new man, you know, with pep in his step, as Craig said. <laughs> but I just think it's so inspiring after 50 years of drinking to be receptive yeah. to going to treatment, changing, and becoming sober. Yeah, because that's if a long time years, to be an addict. Just, yeah. And your whole life is around that. Yeah. You know, and so to make that kind of the habits, to make that change, I think is pretty, pretty, very imp- telling. Yeah, pretty incredible. And I loved how his family, though, super hard. I think that it was like this elephant in the, in the room, room. Yeah. And you're not really sure how to deal with it, you know. Um, but they didn't give up. And Which I uh, absolutely 100% agree. So telling of the family right yeah. there. Because it oh. would be just painful to keep putting up with that. Right. And painful to just hope for more and just keep wishing that right. maybe things would change. And then to... they And they don't, maybe. Yeah. And the other thing I think is really great is that to see the end of the legacy of alcoholism, you know, hopefully, you know, that ran in their family, mm-hmm. you know, ending. ending. And Craig, he very easily could have fallen in those footsteps. Absolutely. He was acutely aware of how that impacted his family. So that propelled him in a totally different direction, which I so admire because sometimes you follow in that. Yeah. In that. the follow suit. So Craig, you know, I don't know if you know he's married to sports anchor. I don't even know who Lindsay, he is. So. And I'm not going to pronounce it. Snarsnack. Like I said, they have two children, but he really draws upon, you know, his experience growing up with his father and wants to be a different dad. And he now realizes that his dad didn't have a role model and struggled. Craig describes himself as trying to be available and in the moment with his kids, encouraging them in whatever they're into, like Pokemon for Dell or Disney princesses for (laughs) Sibby. He worries about not being there for them. I love that his dad taught him those lessons, even not in the way that the way that you would want, right, but right. he not was through role open, modeling, yeah. but through another way. Yeah. I mean, not he, traditional methods, but but it sounds like Craig was open enough to learn those lessons, obviously the hard way, but right. And he says, like like his dad, he's out the door in the morning before his kids are up, and so he really worries about that. He described in the book, it was really sweet, where one weekend his wife was gone. He was juggling between the two kids, trying to spread the time evenly. So he'd watch 30 minutes of football with his son, Dell, and then do 30 minutes of watercolors <laughs> with Sibby. And then he just kept alternating back and forth throughout the day. I just thought, uh, reading that just really warmed my heart. Once again, I'm tired. I know. It's really <laughs> sweet. I just found it so refreshing to read about his experiences as a father his feelings, his concerns. Mm-hmm. You know, he candidly says he's a work in progress, but aren't we all? Yeah. We're often, supposed to be. And oftentimes we don't hear about the dad's perspective on rearing children Mm-mm. and balancing that with a professional career. Which and we need to. We need to. More of that. And I and I really just, just appreciate his honesty and vulnerability. And it's super brave that he's sharing mm-hmm. about his personal experiences. They're painful ones. And, and opening and that up is very painful, to Open it up to yeah. let other people know about that. And right. just opening that wound up in yourself, too. For sure. I mean, as a professional, someone, a public figure, yeah. he probably wondered, is that going to be, how is that going to be viewed? 
But I just, I really love reading about his dad's recovery and that positive impact and the restoration between father and son. It was just, uh, I don't know. I thought it was really cool. Love that. Dad's definition of success is when you look at your son and daughter and realize they turned out better than you. Joe Biden. It's funny how things work out. Even before I decided to read Craig Melvin's book, Pops, I was walking Fritz and I saw a woman in this black hoodie with a white screen print that said Recovery Gym. And I was kind of curious what that mm-hmm. was. And then a week or so later on the local news, I heard about this gym in Northwest Portland. And it was so intriguing. I just checked out their website. The Recovery Gym is, a, is the Northwest's first fitness center that focuses on recovery for substance abuse and mental health disorders. Oh, my gosh. I need I to know. look into this. It's so awesome. They're combining fitness and data and mentorship. You know, it's well-studied fact that those with mental health disorders, it affects your immune system, oh, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, make you more susceptible to illness. And we know exercise is great for improving health and well-being. An exercise program also helps develop that discipline, which is crucial for long-term success and sobriety. The goal of the gym is to provide a fun atmosphere that is welcoming and supportive. They have just a wide array of classes ranging from physical activities like CrossFit, rock climbing, weight training, running club, hiking club, and then wellness activities, mindfulness, meditation, nutrition, education, smoking, secession, and stress reduction. CrossFit and the weight training classes are free to anyone in recovery or seeking treatment, which is so great. They also provide recovery activities. So to kind of couple that, like with cover mentoring, uh, resourceful um, referral and pro-social events that kind of help you in your recovery I wonder how they can even operate. I mean, they must take donations or something so that I think they do. I didn't really mm-hmm. see how they how they operate their funds, mm-hmm. but I just I think it's such, such a, a cool. I know such thing. a great way to encourage healthy living and sobriety. Mm-hmm. Along the same lines as the recovery gym, I kept seeing these cans of sparkling flavored energy water in the stores. I don't know if you've seen them. Clean cause. They're like bright colors. They color cans. I'm not very observant. Okay. <laughs> kind of like fun flavors, like peach and lemon lime. But anyway, and they're low calorie. But I decided to check out their website, and 50% of their profits go towards supporting individuals in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. Oh. And I looked, I didn't realize there's 20, probably 20 million people in the world struggling with addiction, or in the U.S., rather, mm-hmm. in the U.S., um, struggling with addiction. And more than 50,000 people a year die from overdose. I mean, mm. these are super horrible it's statistics. Very sad stats, yeah. yeah. But the solution is, is treatment, and oftentimes those who need it can't afford it. Well, treatment and education, and right. you can't get that without. Right. So the founder is a prior addict, Wes Hurt, founder of Clean Cause, you know, saw firsthand the effects of drugs and alcohol on his family. And he struggled with drugs and alcohol starting in junior high and dealt with it for more than 20 years. He went to six rehab centers and finally oh had the realization he needed to change and in 2014 became sober. And really wanted to help people and with a purpose. And he started selling his fruity organic drinks at the time just in Austin, Texas. And mm-hmm. then later he saw the need all, you know, all, it was all over the country and really expanded his visions. 
The proceeds provide scholarships for those in need of recovery facility. There's like this application on their website. They've granted now more than 2,593 scholarships, which represents over $1.2 million worth of, you know, really amazing. Well, and awesome that they're giving 50% of their profits. Right. And that's very generous. Yeah. I just love finding both of these great organizations that are encouraging a healthy, sober lifestyle and truly making an impact on on people's lives. Now I need to go find, what's it called again? Clean cause? Clean cause. Yeah, I need to go find that. So as we're trying to get to know each other a bit <laughs> more. Okay. Pressure, pressure, so, pressure. Where'd you meet your spouse? Funny, we met in high school, but oh. didn't really know each other. Then we worked at, as lifeguards together. Oh, cute. That's So fun. that's where we got to know each other. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what si- superhero would you be? Oh, I want to be so many, but Black Widow. You just saw Black Widow. I, we just did yeah. just see the movie a couple few weeks ago, but um, I love how she just a strong, powerful woman who's had a lot of horrible things happen to her, but she is not going to back down. She's right. only going to use them to make her I stronger. Have to see that movie? That's yeah, very good. It's a really good movie. Oh, cool. Um, what was your favorite subject in school? Journalism. Oh, I can I, I see that though. No. <laughs> I was um, the sports editor oh, of the okay. school newspaper, so yeah, I, I can I, see that. I just loved Mrs. Zettergren was uh-huh. my teacher. It was yeah, that was my that favorite makes class. a huge difference. <laughs> it does teacher. all the difference yeah. in the world. If you had to describe yourself as an animal, who what animal? I'd probably have to say a squirrel. <laughs> I know that my family would say some sort of snake or reptile yeah. because I'm always freezing cold. Right. But they also, they'd understand with me being a squirrel too. I right. like to like burrow and, and you you're know, busy. save things. And I'm busy, yeah. yeah. And I have a short attention span. I want to move you're on to the next thing. Yeah, I'm darting all over the place. So I'd probably have to say maybe a chipmunk. Yeah. More chipmunk. so a chipmunk. Yeah, I chipmunk. can see that. A favorite, and I can't even believe you have one, but a sugary <laughs> cereal growing up. Yeah. In fact, I I remember writing a thing in grade school about the Saturday morning commercials. Oh. And they, they, they make them. So, yeah. They were making, I mean, they were setting children up. And I, I, Even oh, then. I said that. Yes. I loved Cocoa Puffs and Tricks. Oh, those were good. Yeah. 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 So the old. The old school. Pebble. I don't know that I would now. Yeah. Because I think it's changed. There right. are different shapes and stuff. Yeah. But yes, definitely. I, I'd probably have to pick tricks. Yeah. I would cook about so, yeah. yeah, fun. One day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through, and it will be someone else's survival guide. Brene Brown. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.